Welcome to WeChat Divorce, hosted by Karen Chalou, Legal Liaison, and Catherine Shanahan, CDFA. Each episode, we sit down with divorce professionals and industry experts to provide insights and frank discussions about real people, real situations, and real divorce to help you achieve your best life post-divorce. This episode of WeChat Divorce is brought to you by My Divorce Solution, offering divorce financial planning so clients can secure the divorce settlement they deserve. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to request access. Welcome to WeChat Divorce. Catherine and I are so happy today to welcome Rebecca Stern, family and divorce mediator. Our episode today is all about navigating divorce when your child has special education needs. We'll discuss the best financial advice if you find yourself faced with these unique circumstances. But first, let's meet Rebecca. Rebecca is a divorce and family mediator, special education parent advocate, and founder of Pearl Mediation. She works with both amicable and high-conflict couples and is driven to change the divorce experience for families. She's a professional problem solver, and through that process, she navigates clients through issues of custody, parenting, child support, spousal maintenance, property division, and has created a right-fit special education plans for countless families. Avoiding the expense, time, and drama associated with the traditional adversarial process of divorce, Rebecca helps clients build enduring agreements and move forward on solid ground, educated, and empowered. Welcome. Well, thank you for the lovely introduction. It's great to be here with both of you. Oh, we're so happy to have you. I was talking about special education, even just needs. That's a difficult task to have to navigate couples through, but I think probably the best space you can have is to be able to hear both sides out and help them see it with a mutual person. So I was just thinking of that as Karen was saying all those lovely things about you. What a great service you provide. Thanks so much. Yeah, I think it's two major life things going on at once and it can be really overwhelming. But if we look at it like it's an opportunity to plan for all these things for the future and create a roadmap for that, it really can make things much better going forward. Kudos to you for that great work. So right before we get on to that topic, I'd like to ask you about a quote that you have on your website. I found it very intriguing. Blessed are the cracked, for they will let the light through. Why is that specific quote so meaningful to you and your work? Yes, I kind of I picked that out because it's a piece of Japanese wisdom that refers to the art of kintsugi, which is you take a piece of broken pottery and you restore it, put it back together again. But instead of trying to make it what it was before, it actually becomes more beautiful because you're using this gold resin to piece it back together. So it becomes a more interesting, vibrant piece of art, really, when you're done with it. And I thought that's a great parallel to what we're trying to do in helping people through a divorce because you're so scared. Everything is brand new. How am I going to do all this? And there's really still, even today, a lot of shame and regret and all kinds of bad feelings associated with it sometimes. But if we can do a good job of getting people through to the next chapter, feeling empowered, their life can really be more of what they want it to be, need it to be, and be more beautiful. And we can really learn from things that didn't go so well in the past and have an even better life going forward. So I just thought it was relevant to the work we do. Wow, that's so powerful because everybody always says, it's never going to be the same. My life is never going to be the same. They thought it was something that didn't happen. 
It's not. And why should it be? Why does it need to be? I should say. That's so, not a bad thing. <laughs> it doesn't have that thing. Thing. And that's a great analogy that you just gave. It's something that you can visually see in your mind. I love that. I'm going to have to write that down. You know, I'm big on quotes. So I might have to have you re-say that so I can write it down. Blessed are the cracked, for they will let the light through. That's powerful. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's get, let's move on to our topic. I think there's probably a lot of ground to cover here. And I'm just going to start out with some questions and we'll continue the discussion. Rebecca, if you have a child who struggles with a physical disability or mental health issue, and you're going to share custody, how can one ensure the child's needs will be met when they're away from their parent? I think the best way to approach that is to come up with a special needs parenting plan, which is exactly what it sounds like. Instead of just a regular parenting plan, which would address custody and have a schedule, you're going to fill it with all kinds of things your child needs to be properly supported. If you think about it parallel to what we do in the school systems, if a child has special education needs, we create 504 plans and IEPs, and we work with schools to say this child needs, it could be to sit right in front of the teacher or to have testing accommodations or have homework modified or any kind of accommodation they might need, a one-on-one aid, an out-of-district placement. We spend a lot of time getting what our kids need in schools. At home, it's the same. If they're going to have two households, we have to think about what will they need to really be okay. And it certainly depends on every unique situation, but it could be things that they need in terms of a special diet that has to be carried out in both houses. It could be how we handle transitions. Maybe transitions are particularly difficult for the child, but anybody who's going to be a caregiver for this child needs to be on board with supporting what they need, believing in it, and being able to provide it. And when we do a detailed special needs parenting plan, we can put all of that in there. So everybody knows exactly what we're saying needs to happen. And if someone's not up to that task, we figure out how to fill those gaps because that kid shouldn't be less okay in one house than another. So we work through a lot of the inconsistencies there might be if parents are not on the same page and put everything in there that can fully support that child's unique needs. I have not been faced with this challenge. My hat goes off to the families that have to deal with this because this is really difficult and it's probably a very difficult conversation to have. But even just getting the other side, I'm sure one party is typically the person who is always in charge of that for their family. And (laughs) have to let that go. To me, as a mom who's kind of like a helicopter mom, or I used to be, trying to break away from that, to let that go must be an experience in itself to not want to helicopter your ex-spouse now, who might even do it differently or who might not even believe that that need is needed, basically. They think that you coddle them too much or something. I would actually say it's rare to find a couple where they're exactly on the same page about accepting what a disability is, being comfortable with the diagnosis, and having the same understanding of what the level of care should be. Usually people are not in the same place. I mean, it can range from one party's completely in denial to they just view it differently or they use language about it differently. But usually there's some inconsistency between the parties. Just like if we're not dealing with special needs, parents have to accept they can only control what's going on in their home. I heard someone say recently, you can control 100% 
of your 50%. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and that can be a hard thing to accept, but the more we can build an agreement that includes what the child really needs and hash it all out now while we're in the process, the more comfortable you can be because, okay, we've talked about this my former spouse understands that this is what our child needs. I have to accept this is what's going to be going on now. You know, we do the financial end of that. We see a lot of people where, or, or it's rare, like you're saying, that people are on the same page. But in the, going through our process and the divorce preparation platform, you see kind of a balance when the symmetry of information is available and you get to express how you feel. And I said that when we started this, when your intro was being said by Karen, it's because to be able to sit there and provide that space for a couple to be heard, for example, like I said, the primary caretaker before, just expressing what goes on in a day-to-day thing. The other party, the spouse, wouldn't hear that sitting with two different attorneys. You would have two different attorneys talking about it and one person getting pissed because it's not coming out in the way they actually intend for it to come out. But how powerful and how rewarding for the couple to be able to sit there with you who's so knowledgeable to think through these things and really have the clarity and the understanding and maybe even the appreciation to the spouse who never really dealt with it on a day-to-day basis. So again, I mean, if you're going through something like this, you really need a place to be heard. And the fact that you're so knowledgeable and provide that space to me is exceptional. I think it's great. I really think being heard is absolutely key. Everyone has a story. Everyone has heightened emotions about certain things. And if they don't have the ability to make that part of the equation, they can't separate the emotion from the homework. But if they feel heard, then gradually they're very able to say, okay, I have strong emotions and maybe I'll go get a coach. Maybe I'll get a therapist and talk about these things and do the work that I need to. But over here, we're going to be doing the homework. And because I'm dealing with those emotions and because I'm feeling heard, I can actually provide this information, see things clearly, get my arms around it. I think having a collaborative approach is especially important when there's a child with special needs Because just like we want CDFAs involved because there are complex financial things to be taken care of, if you have your attorney who's never done anything with special needs before, they're not going to know to tell you what questions to ask to make sure that, oh, maybe we're going to do child support differently, or maybe we're going to talk about emancipation and how that may be different for this child. But if you have people who are familiar with that area, then all those things come up so that they don't wind up exploding into disagreements later Mm post-judgment. So I have a question just on the terminology of this all, because I often have conversations on our intake calls regarding the children who their parents will describe as a special need. And sometimes I will say, well, what is the diagnosis or what is the special need? And sometimes there is a diagnosis and sometimes there's not. And sometimes I know that can cause conflict between the parents. So in the divorce system, is there a necessity that there be a diagnosis? And that's because it is definitely a hot topic. I think there is one school of thought that talks about a child with a special need. Another school of thought is that it's part of their personality. So it's a special needs child. Some people don't like the term special needs. We talk about disabilities and, you know, what is most politically correct is really getting batted about. And there are a lot of articles about it now. 
So when I talk to clients about it, I usually try and come at it from the personal perspective because I sometimes I'm wearing two hats. You know, I do this professionally. I've also experienced these things personally. And I know how I felt when I was trying to get a diagnosis for my own child. And nobody wants to label their child. So I don't care what the label is. I don't care what the name of a diagnosis is, what the language is. Whatever someone is comfortable with, that's what we're going to use because we just want to respect whatever you're comfortable with. But really at the heart of it, I want to know what's going on. What are their strengths and weaknesses? What do they need to be their best self? And those are the things that we really need to tackle. So I want to hear from parents. Tell me what an average day is like. What's great about it? What's hard about it? What do you worry about? And we take it from there because really the diagnosis is just there. So we know what it is and perhaps, you know, what clinical therapy might be of use in some way. But really we want to know who this person is as an individual. So we know what's going to be best for them. That's great. However, if you're going through it litigiously and you're not amicable, will they want that diagnosis? Do you have to go through all of that heartache to get to that point? I would say that the special needs area and divorce do complement each other in that way, in that the best interest of the child is always paramount. So whether it's a child with some sort of challenge or not, I like to just focus on what really is in the best interest of this child, because that's going to win the day if you're in a courtroom, just as much as it should if you're not. Yeah, it should. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you saying that. My divorce was 20 years ago, so it's a long time ago, and I did not know of any of these resources or that you could even talk about it, but I had a child with ADD, and it was pretty severe and he needed a lot of structure during his day and a lot of interaction with the teachers and so forth. And so when we were going through our custody battle and that was what it was, I was just told, look, you can't tell your spouse what to do when the child is with dad. So give it up. He'll be fine. That's all I had to go on. That's what they told me. So it's good that there are spaces now and parents can know that actually their child's needs do matter in these types of situations. I really appreciate that. And how great would that have been to go through that with Rebecca? Because when you experience something personally, it's so powerful to to handle it professionally because you know the questions to ask, you know the challenges, you've been through it, so you're relatable. And if Karen would have had someone like you to just walk through those that those scenarios with her, very different experience. So it's nice that we have people getting involved when they've gone through things themselves. Definitely. I mean, you just have such empathy because you know what that feels like and you know how hard it is and how overwhelming. So it really does help to know what the right questions are, whether you're going down the right path or not. Um, And Karen, as you were saying about being told you don't have control over what the other parent does, that's certainly true to some extent. Everybody parents differently. And if you're in two different households, that will happen. But again, to go back to the school parallel, you're going to bring, let's say, a neuropsychological evaluation report to the school to say, oh, the clinician says my kid needs X, Y, and Z. So therefore, that's what we have to do. It's the same thing. If you're in a hearing with a judge, you can bring in a medical report and say, the clinician says my child needs X, Y, Z. Dad or mom has the funds to pay for it. 
Therefore, it should be part of the support obligation. But you need to know that you can do that and what kind of support you're going to need to make it happen. Right. And just someone like you just did break it down so that you don't think your attorney told you something incorrect, but you just articulated it in a way where you could understand it better and know that you do have the ability to speak up for what you think is really important for your child or children. It's great. It can get complicated. I mean, couples who are co-parenting are going to argue about the cost of the basketball uniform. So imagine if they're talking about the tuition of a therapeutic private school. Yeah, Yeah. so true. So let's go on to that topic. What if you and your former spouse disagree about a service or treatment you believe your child needs? And maybe you already covered that, but do you have anything to add there? I do actually. I have a little something that I've seen work many times, which is we don't want to leave it up in the air because then there's going to be an argument. So we actually ask the parents, well, your child is, let's say, you know, seeing a particular therapist at this point in time, and you both trust this therapist. Maybe it took you a while to get here, but you're both happy with what's going on right now. We put that specific therapist into their agreement and say, if they have a disagreement about whatever support the child needs, we're going to look to this clinician to provide a recommendation and mom and dad are going to agree that they'll be bound by that recommendation. And if it's not that particular provider, it's somebody with similar training that hopefully there's mutual consent about. But I always put it in the hands of someone who's a specialist in that field instead of the parents, because most of the time, if the parents have been involved and they know what's going on and they know what kind of care their child is receiving, they do trust the people that are already in their lives. So they'll both usually agree, okay, yeah, I would trust that person or somebody similar to that if we couldn't agree. And that can often help avoid that next battle over it. Well, that's a great idea. That's a really good idea. Yeah, it it neutralizes so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right. That's awesome. So what terms of the marital settlement agreement might be impacted by a child's unique needs? I would say there are a lot of things throughout the parenting portion of an agreement, starting with child support, which may be different. It may need to be higher. It may have specific things in it, depending upon what the level of the disability is and what's required there. I mentioned emancipation earlier. That's a big one that relates to child support because if someone's paying child support, they're doing so often until that child is emancipated. Depending upon your state, it could be 18 or 19. It could be 23 when they're done with college. But if you have a child who's not going to be financially independent at the age at which they would ordinarily be emancipated, then maybe they can't be emancipated or can't be emancipated yet. They may need more time. They may not ever be emancipated. And we need to address that in the agreement so that we know child support may not be ending at the usual time. I would say it also is a factor in determining custody, especially legal custody. So there's legal custody, which is decision-making as opposed to physical. With decision-making, you said earlier, it's often the case one parent has really been in the trenches, let's say, of what's going on with this child's issues. And that parent may be willing to and want to, and so may their former spouse, co-parent most other issues, other 
medical decisions and big life decisions, religion, things like that. But maybe there's some area where one parent wishes to and should regain a little bit more control. I would say an exception that sometimes goes into an agreement in cases like this is school choice. So let's say that there's joint legal custody between the parents. They make both, you know, of them are contributing to parenting decisions. But if there's a decision about where that child is going to go to school, maybe dad's been more involved. So maybe he gets the final say if there's a disagreement on where the child is going to go to school because he's been the one in every IEP meeting, something like that. So that's another area. We were talking about child support, also shared expenses are kind of that peripheral piece of child support obligation. And you share it in a certain percentage, usually based on the disparity between your incomes. Well, maybe that doesn't apply the usual way if there's an extraordinary expense, something like I threw out there, the therapeutic boarding school example. If there's something that is really a large expense that's not a typical day-to-day item. It's not the ballet costume. It's something really major. Maybe that needs to be handled differently because maybe one parent has more of an ability to handle that financially than the other for some reason. So that needs to be part of the picture as well. So I would say you really comb through the entire agreement, looking at it from the perspective of okay, but what might be different here than the way that we normally do it? What should we think about now when we're planning for the future for this child? You know, on the equitable distribution side of all of that, it is a lot of people want to set up trust. So if something happens and there's money that goes into a trust, however, they never fund these trusts. Setting up a trust would be easier also before you sign off on your divorce because it's easier to get everybody to sign everything at that time. Don't forget how you're funding that because people move on or they have more children or they get remarried and then all of a sudden they forget all about this. That's probably on the equitable distribution side that you should be coming through. Really good point. And most people, they don't think I should create a trust and all the reasons that I should. And most people haven't heard of, say, an ABLE account. A lot of people have heard of a 529 account to save for college, but most people don't know there's something called an ABLE account that works just like a 529 where you're getting a tax advantage, but you have more freedom with what you can use it for. It's not just specifically for tuition. And if you have any kind of diagnosed disability, then you can open that kind of account. But for the kiddos who have really a severe disability that would qualify for disability benefits later in life, that's a really big topic that a lot of people don't know about as well. And the key to creating a trust so that any money that does belong to that child is put in trust so that it's not part of just some general bank account where if they have above a certain limit, they would be disqualified from getting those benefits. So having conversations with experts like you guys and people who know how to set these things up is really critical as well. So again, back to that whole collaborating concept, I think you wouldn't have your plumber fix your roof, right? So why do you want your attorney who doesn't know about these financial tools and doesn't know about special needs necessarily to be the only person you're going to figure out how to build this for your child's future? So I love bringing in people who have that expertise because you should go to the person whose wheelhouse it is if you really want it to be 100% the best you can do. Yeah, it absolutely drives me insane where even if attorney brings it up, they say, okay, we'll put that there'll be a trust formed in your agreement, but you guys could do that after the divorce. 
or yes, you should do that. But after you get divorced, you guys should get back together to do that. Well, who wants to get back together with their spouse? No way. And who's going to pay for it if you didn't say you're going to spend the cost of that professional? (laughs) So now you got to go back to court to get to court, to get to an agreement again about something that should have been done beforehand. And again, the importance of being with you and doing this through mediation is you're heard. You're both heard and you pause everything until you bring in another resource to help them sort through that. So everybody's on the same page. So important just to do it this way. I mean, I can't say it enough times. I mean, it's it's all stressful. It's emotional. It's a lot of work. It's a lot to dig through. But do you really want to do it again later, next year, the year after? Let's tackle it all now the best we can so that you build a really good foundation so that you're not back in the process later. You know, we have a case and this client, she's the primary caretaker, long-term marriage, and she works. And, you know, you're listening to the attorneys talk about her support calculation, and they're supposed to be collaboratively doing this in a different state that we're all in. It. Nobody considered anything that if she wasn't able to work her job now, although it's a good job, all they're talking about is her increasing her income. And she passionately points out, what if I can't work my job because his needs are much greater and there'll be a forever need for this person? Then does my support go up then? Because my spouse isn't going to come home from his very lucrative job, but I'm going to have to give up mine. You know, and I said, good for you. Good for you setting that out there and saying that because it is a real factor. But if you don't talk about it and it occurs, you're back in the courtroom again. Absolutely. And that's another thing you can put into your agreement. I mean, I really think the more you think through the possible inevitabilities, then you're going to really be safe because that happens all the time and you recalculate for all different reasons. But if you can recognize now something that might happen, you're more likely to resolve it, the two people between each other, just having a conversation about it than winding back in mediation or back in a courtroom over it. Yeah. Which will inevitably happen if you don't draw a line under it during the marital settlement agreement, that's a given for sure. And that's one way to prepare financially for post-divorce is to make sure all of these loose ends are tied up as you're completing your marital settlement agreement, for sure. Definitely, and I think that's why it's so important to have a good team behind you because when you are in the weeds and you have a five-year-old, you're not thinking about college. (laughs) Right. Somebody there to say to you, ooh, I see something that could be on the horizon that we should be talking about now. And at the end of it, you're just finished. You're like, I want to be done. Please let me sign this agreement. I'm so over it. But you need your team on there to say, I know you're almost there, but the devil is always in the details, as we all know. So just to hang in there at the end to make sure you follow through will be really important and impactful, actually, for your lifetime. I think so many people go into the process with so many fears. This is one of the first questions I ask clients. Please tell me, what keeps you up at night? That's what I want to know. I want to know what they're scared about. Because if they sign an agreement just to be done, or because they're feeling pressured in a moment, it's never going to work in the long run. Everybody actually has to be comfortable with it if it's an agreement that's going to endure. We don't just want you to do something because you want to be done. I know you want to be done. We all want to be done quickly, as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. But mm-hmm. if somebody's not on board, they're not going to follow through. That's the first problem. And then we're going to have to be enforcing something. And if somebody doesn't feel they really understood everything, 
problems are going to arise later. So you really want to feel like you are an expert on your situation and all the different pieces of it by the time you get done. If you've never dealt with the finances before, somebody else has always been the one doing the bills. You want to get a financial education by talking to experts like you two to really get your arms around it. So when you're moving on to your next chapter, suddenly you know everything about your retirement accounts. You know exactly what your budget is. You know what you need. So therefore, you know that the agreement that you signed will provide enough for you to be okay. Then you can Absolutely. Wow. I couldn't have said that better. That is spot on there. It's so true. Totally spot on. And nobody, not your attorney, not your spouse, not anyone should force you or even encourage you to sign an agreement that you do not fully understand and realize what the financial impacts or any other consequence will be of you signing that agreement. So I, I was just on the phone yesterday with a person who said, yeah, I signed it because my attorney said that if I didn't agree in mediation, that I was going to have to go to court and never afford it. And I needed to agree right then, or my spouse and his counsel was going to walk out of the room. And she had a terrible agreement. So, you know, you can't go back and undo these things. So it is important to know and be educated and really find your great resources and your great team. And that happens so often. So many attorneys will say, well, look, this person isn't going to budge. This is the best you're going to do. If you don't want to do this, you're going to wind up litigating and it's going to cost this many tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. Well, anyone in that position is going to feel frightened and to sign something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Maybe that person needs a new lawyer. Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Exactly. Yeah. (laughs) And I'm pretty sure if it's a good agreement, it's not going to go away if you take the time to be with it and make sure it's the right agreement for you. That's Mm -hmm. another podcast for another day for sure. But thank you, Rebecca, for having this conversation for so many families who are not only faced with divorce, but also faced with making sure their children are cared for and will be continued to be really well cared for during divorce and post-divorce. So thank you for your great work here. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to talk with you. So this concludes this episode on navigating divorce when your child has special education needs. Rebecca, how can our listeners find you and learn more about you? Sure, they can hop on my website. It's www.rebecca-stern.com. They can also find me on Instagram, Rebecca Stern JD, or find me through you. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Definitely. Thanks so much for a great conversation. Thank you. If you're considering divorce, make sure to protect your wealth with divorce financial planning from My Divorce Solution. Our certified divorce experts will help you untangle your finances and understand your settlement options so you can negotiate your marital assets with confidence. Protect your financial estate with divorce financial planning. Visit MyDivorceSolution.com to see if you qualify to work with our financial divorce experts. That's MyDivorceSolution.com for expert divorce financial planning. Thanks for joining us on another episode of WeChat Divorce. We hope this episode was informative and supportive on your divorce journey. If you are looking for more support for navigating divorce with confidence and clarity, head over to MyDivorceSolution.com for more podcast episodes, divorce events, and resources for your divorce. We'll see you back here for our next episode.